Welcome back to another episode of Let's Face the Facts. I'm your host. My name is David Almeida. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida. Every week I sit down with an actor or artist friend. We watch an episode of the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life, and then we hit record. We start talking about the show, synopsize the show, and let it take the conversation wherever it will take it. My guest this week is Bob Brandenburg. Bob is a theatrical renaissance man. He, he does everything. He's an actor. He's a writer, producer, director. He does it all. I work with him mostly at Sleuth's Mystery Dinner Theater, but we have also collaborated on some other stuff, and uh, he's always a delight to have around, and uh, I'm really looking forward to you hearing this show. Before we start, I do want to say thank you to those of you who've reached out to me through comments or messages on social media. I always enjoy hearing from you. I love when you folks share stuff and memories and nostalgia of your own. It seems I got a few new subscribers thanks to Ken Reed's appearance on the show, which makes me really, really happy and uh, very, very excited. Welcome to my new listeners back to this week's show, Bob Brandenburg and I watched Season 3, Episode 7, entitled Sweet Sorrow, and that's original air date was, and its original air date was December 9th, 1981. So, I'm ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Bob Brandenburg. Welcome, Bob Brandenburg. Hello. Thank you. It's good to be here, David. Yes. A podcast. Uh, Have you ever been on a podcast before? No, I have not. And I was expecting some sort of a pod-like device. (laughs) And there is not. I'm kind of new to this podcast thing. Okay. Well, it's like a, a radio show that you don't have to listen to. Oh, okay. It's like you voluntarily choose to listen to it, and you can also say, fuck this, and turn it off. Well, I listen to some of the um, newscasters that have them, because I want to catch up on... People recommend these ones that are about murderers and things (gasps) like that. My favorite murder. Yeah, there's that one. Yeah. Um, But I haven't really gotten into them yet, but I do like the idea of it. Yeah. It's, It's cool because once you start building up the few that you like... And then they just go into your podcatcher. Then they just, they download on their own. They play in sequence. And over time, it's just, at this point, when I'm either in my car or if I'm walking the long walk to and from right. our stages at work yes. from where we park, I just put in my headphones. I put it, I really, that's, I forget to listen to record albums through my Apple Music. I forget to keep up with that. I forget to keep up with audiobooks. David, can we get to what's important here is the context of why the fuck are we doing a podcast about the facts of life? Can you you got to give me a little a little backstory here. Bob. Yes. I think the more important question is why isn't everybody doing a podcast about the facts of life? Well, I I will tell you that I enjoyed it as a sitcom and I think that I watched it first uh, run. Okay, that would that would have been my next question. You've segued beautifully into this. Is What is your relationship with the show? Did you watch it? Did you love it? I did. I watched it f- first run, and I probably watched it in reruns, too. And as I mentioned, I was a tour guide out at Universal um, Hollywood, mm-hmm. and we had a little spiel about it because we rode by one of the sound stages <gasps> where they were shooting at the time. Oh, oh, my God. You were, like, almost there. Did you see them? Did you ever see any of them? No, I I was waiting tables at the Magic Pan in Mm -hmm. Beverly Hills, and I waited on um, oh um, the funny one, 
Uh, All of them. Mindy Cohn. Mindy Cohn. I I waited on Mindy Cohn. And that was like really a big deal. And then years later, Kim Fields um, directed things at Nickelodeon. So you'd see her there fairly frequently as well. That's right. Well, it's just beautiful because you've already dropped some beautiful... I'll pick up those names before I go to leave. No, 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 not at all for name (laughs) dropping. What I was going to say is uh, during uh, later on in the show, we're going to talk about you and your career and... We are. That'll be a short <laughs> conversation, oh, David. Stop, Bob, please. <laughs> but we're going to talk about some of the stuff and the places that your career has taken you, which yes. I think some would argue is extraordinary. <laughs> but we'll we'll get to that and we'll let the let my fours of listeners decide for themselves. Ooh, fours. But back to your original question yeah. is I fell in love with a couple of podcasts. One of them is called TV Guidance Counselor, mm-hmm. and all they do is they talk about nostalgia of old television. Mm. And I grew up in front of the TV. And then I stumbled on this other podcast by April Richardson called Go Bayside. And it is an episode-by-episode analysis of Baywatch. Saved, saved, oh, saved by, by the, by bell. the bell. Oh, no. I, look, I'm holding you in higher esteem for Facts of Life over Saved Thank by the you. Bell. But you realize that, too, the, April Richardson is like a decade younger than I am. That mm-hmm. was the show that she watched in reruns and watched every episode okay. a cabillion times. Did you watch this first run? Yes. And age wise, we're I'm 61. I am 50. Okay. So, so we, decade. Yeah, we yep. got So that's interesting because I watched from uh, I was like an avid TV watcher 65 to 75. Okay. Yeah. My sweet spot is really like 75 to 85. Interesting. When this show premiered, I was 11. Mm. And so therefore you would have been 21. Yeah. So this is after your sweet spot, but you were still watching I was. When it, I, ran, I, when it first ran, even though you're kind of old for the audience. Yeah, I mean, but I watched sitcom. I was that's, a, that's a horrible thing to say. Your your demographic was yeah. older than the demographic they would have probably but expected. My demographic was addicted to sitcoms. We didn't have media that you have mm. nowadays. So our options were very limited. Yeah. So um, sitcoms were my kind of thing. Whether they were good or bad, I watched all sitcoms. Yeah. It was kind of that had learned to be my escape, you know? Yeah. And um, in the time frame you talk about, that was when reruns really were finding their footing and taking hold. Absolutely. So the ability, that started in that time where you we, were able to digest them on a greater scale. Well, let's get to this show then, shall true. we? Yep. The show we just watched was Sweet Sorrow. It, it originally aired sometime late in 1981. I think we're, we're almost into 82 at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and Sweet Sorrow, of course... An allusion to the Shakespearean parting is such sweet sorrow. So before I I go and spoil it, I always like to start the show asking my guest, please, Bob Brandenburg, would you please synopsize this episode in one or two sentences like you might see in a TV guide listing? Joe falls in love but finds out love is more complicated than it's worth. She gets some... Words of wisdom from Mrs. What's her name? Garrett. Garrett. <laughs> and then she cries in her bosom, and <laughs> all is well after that. <laughs> it was it was very sad. I had a momentary tear. I mean, I did too. So let's get to it then yeah. and start. We begin the episode 
with Eddie pacing around the cafeteria while Tootie and Natalie are inverting chairs on top of the table. At yeah. first, we thought we were they were like setting up closing shop kind of a thing. Yeah. But we learned they're doing the disgusting job of scraping, scraping gum. Gum off the bottoms yeah. of the chair. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty vile. Yeah, in the words of Trinell Mooring. <laughs> um, that's pretty gross. So um, the exposition of the scene is... Now, I have to ask you, though. Don't you think, like, would you have cast that boy? Um, this episode, he was not as good as he was when we first met him. Really? Yeah. So he played a different character before? It, he... Or an uh, amalgam. Let's, let's get into it. Clark Brandon as Eddie. We fell in love with him really? in season one. You did. When you well, were that America age. America did. When you were that age. Yes. All right. But what I'm saying is, even watching it again when I did it here right. on this show, we watched it and Paul Padilla and I sat here and said, God, he is so good. He is perfect because you get the sense that he's a Navy boy, but there's also a sweet side to him. We were thinking maybe he isn't quite from the Bronx like Joe. We don't right. know where they would have met. Right. But he was he was really high-pitched and... Kind of wispy. Now, do you think they would have, like, if they were doing that sitcom today, would they cast him? Oh, no. Yeah. They'd say queer. Yeah. Well, and, would... the, and the buck teeth. Um, oh, that too. Yeah. The overbite was the, a little... bit of the overbite. Because, I mean, he already had a lot of TV credits. He had already done a few different shows. Well, he, he kind of looked like a Jason Bateman wannabe. Okay. I see that. He's, I think he's very handsome. And, I mean, there's a lot of Tiger Beats with him in it, too. I forget. Really? I forget what, there was a show he did a few episodes of. It didn't run long, but it was enough to, to grab hold and put him into the teen magazines. Um, but I, I do have to say, I agree with you that I felt like he didn't register as well in this episode. And yeah. he came off really kind of insipid. Yeah. And do you tell me more what you were thinking. Well, because the guy, the guy that he, she was in competition with, Bob, he, you know, it was just... Uh, it was a little hard to believe that um, she was going to uh, uh, choose this guy. You know what it would be like if you know the guy in Big Bang Theory that the plays the nerd, the maiden nerd, the uh, Leonard Johnny yeah. Johnny Galecki. Johnny Galecki. Well, like he's got like this kind of this half um, nerd, but kind of hot nerd mm-hmm. going for him. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I I just think that's what that kind of role would have called for but he wasn't a hot nerd yeah you um he, he's not particularly masculine no he's not you wouldn't expect him to be in the navy right and you would put you would think joe would be compensating a little bit <clears throat> i mean maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my but i i do have to admit he comes off i i didn't like eddie as much as i did in the previous episode interesting and and like you said, competing with the other guy, with this Bob person, it's yeah. like, no contest. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Bob was hot. He was but hot. we'll get there. Bob's not here that yet. That curly hair, though, that... Um, William Cat. Yeah, that William Cat, that um, Greg Brady kind of... Christopher Atkins. Christopher Atkins. So expositionally, Tootie and Natalie converse with Eddie, and what we learn is that... Is Joe going to be surprised that I'm here because he's there early? He's not due to arrive until tomorrow, so he's waiting on Joe to get back to the cafeteria because she doesn't know he's there, though she is expecting him. Right. Uh, Mrs. Garrett comes out of the kitchen having made Eddie some cookies. Mm -hmm. And, oh, I will say, 
um, Eddie says, Are, is she going to be happy that I'm here? And one of the girls says, well, Joe is always happy whenever you're here. She's, all, she's even nice to Blair. So the, uh, the illusion is that he's made multiple visits mm. when we're only aware of him having been there once. But th- th- he's comfortable. But he's comfortable. He's certainly one of the family mm. because what we went through with him in the other show was a two-parter where he was taking Joe off and they were going to get married. <gasps> and for those who didn't know that, like you, we have this expositional thing of Mrs. Garrett makes Eddie the cookies and make yourself at home. And I think Tootie says, wow, I never thought I'd hear those words. I think it might be Natalie. Might hear those words come out of that mouth, past those lips to those ears. Like, I never thought I would ever hear Mrs. Garrett being welcoming to Eddie. Yeah. And, I mean, they didn't part on terrible terms. Eddie put them through a lot. kind of later you get the feeling that she really likes Eddie, Mrs. Garrett. Yeah. I mean, that's it. I think he's... We gather from the first appearance of him is that he's very sweet, but just just young, a little naive. Yeah. And and he's eighteen. We we infer he's eighteen since he's in the navy. Joe is sixteen. Now they're both a year older. Um, but yeah, so uh, we we do get the little um, let's catch up where Mrs. Garrett says Eddie and I have come to an understanding. And he says, yeah, that understanding that I'm never going to try to take Joe away and marry her again, <laughs> like I did last year in season two, episodes seven and eight. <laughs> it's like, just to be clear that to the writer's credit, they are making sure that that event still did happen. Gotcha. They're still addressed. They're not forgetting that it did take place. Um, so then Joe comes in and she's got this guy with her, this tall, blonde. Tall drink of water. Whew. Curly-headed guy. Yeah. He is hot. Yeah, he looked like the, the, the what the guy would look like on um, Scooby-Doo. You know, the tall guy? Fred? Yeah, Fred. But but with curly hair. I don't with think Fred curly. had curly hair. Yeah, it always looked wavy to me on the cartoon, though. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do it in the live action. Maybe that's what's coloring my, oh, yeah, could be. my perception of it. Um, so when Joe comes in, she sees Eddie, and she is happy to see him. Eddie! Oh my God, that's great. She notices he's earned another stripe on his uniform. He's mm. like, yeah, I hoped you would notice. And then she turns to the guy and says, oh, uh, Bob Perkins, this is Eddie, my boyfriend. Eddie Brennan, this is Bob Perkins, my husband. <laughs> Speaking of Scooby-Doo. Right. Um, and it's like, whoa, wait, what? Oh, no. I mean, they're having to play husband and wife for some type of a social studies class. That's going on between Eastland and Bates. That's their uh, analog of a boys' school. That's a mile away from Eastland, so we've been told. And so this is a social studies thing. Have you ever heard of this happening of boys and girls having to pair up for a school class and pretend to be married outside of a sitcom? No. I... I haven't either. So it's just been, it's just, this is all TV makeup stuff. I, I think so. Yeah. Just like, do they really do the thing in schools where they give kids a, a mechanical baby that cries all the time to let them understand? I don't know. So um, the actor who plays uh, super crazy hot Bob Perkins, Bob Perkins, that's a dad name. That's not it the name a of a name. boyfriend. His name yeah. should have been like Chad. But they were still, if you, the names, Eddie, Bob, you know, this was still... 
This Rit- was written by middle-aged vaudevillian writers. Right. Yes. Exactly. We have we so many conversations. We didn't get people of, of any color or of any diversity doing these things for probably another 10 years. Uh, yeah. We, um, what it is is that the Facts of Life was on Saturday nights. Yeah. Alongside Give Me a Break. Yeah. Golden Girls. Yeah. And 227. Yeah. So it's like black show, white show, white show, black show. Oh, I never thought it's of like that. It's like an Oreo That's cookie. That's funny. Yeah. It's like a double stuff Oreo cookie, yeah. isn't it? But, um... Huh. Sean Stevens is the name of the actor playing Bob. Now, see, that doesn't sound real either, does it? Sean Stevens? Well, That's a stage name. It's, well... His name is probably um, Peter uh, Diddledong or something like that. <laughs> Sidney Applebaum. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Sean, S-H-A-W-N, not U-N like Sean it's Cassidy. Sean Stevens, yeah, it probably it's is. Um, looking at his resume, he has... Uh, various TV credits that go up to 1985. Then there's one credit in 89. And then there's a gap until 2003. And only a couple things. And then some more stuff recently post 2015. Hmm. So there's a weird hole in his career. I don't know if he maybe re- retreated to the stage or something. Now that's interesting. And that's the part you want to know. Isn't yeah. It? That was probably the most interesting part of his career. Or he decided to hang wallpaper so he could earn a fucking But living. even that would be interesting to find that out. Yeah. and um, But the most impressive part of his resume is 98 episodes of search for tomorrow wow from 80 to 81 which would have been right around this time and then later a couple years after that 136 episodes of days of our lives so he's a soap actor that's an interesting career i would um maybe i'll do some more digging and maybe post it on the website if i can find i'm curious about that gap yeah but I mean, he's he's a good actor. Yeah, and and he's super crazy good looking. I mean, wow. So um, with this introduction, uh, there is a sense of it's it's being played really well. Where Joe is playing it like, what? This is a guy I'm in a class with, and Eddie's my boyfriend. They sit down, but Eddie puts his chair close to Joe and puts his arm around her. Right. But they don't overplay the jealousy. Yeah. The possessiveness. There's just a enough of it there that i think it's okay yeah because honestly eddie this guy's a fucking threat right if i were in the room with two of you i'd be like bye (laughs) yeah accepting that um he was too much of a pretty boy for her well yeah i guess so i mean you can't see them like her saying you know walking arm in arm with him i i mean i you think uh, i'm I'm to, I'm not getting I'm not looking for a date for Joe. I'm looking for a date for twelve year old David is what oh. I'm looking for. But oh. um, <laughs> anyway, the scene, the one uh, joke that lands, it's kind of an interesting moment, is where um, Mrs. Garrett mentions the class as a great idea because you're gonna have to be doing your Charlotte Ray impression, by the way. Oh, Everyone is to welcome on it. to do their terrible Charlotte Ray impression uh, as I do my terrible Charlotte I Ray see. every week. Um so I invite you to join me. Right. But she says, it's a good class because it teaches kids that sharing a bed isn't the only thing that, it, that goes with marriage. <laughs> and Eddie says, yeah, it isn't the only thing. It's just the best thing. And she walks by him and, and swats, swats him. him. She's like, damn. But then she kind of got a little flirty at the end of it. Well, there was this little um, teacher-student moment thing that happened with her. Many people have pointed out how 
one of Charlotte Ray's crutches yeah. for delivering a joke or filling a moment yeah. or holding for a laugh. She'll bat her eyes. Yeah. And no, I think she wanted to do this. <laughs> well, he's about to become single. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So she can have him. She might. <laughs> so, um, uh, See, that, now that would be like, bring that sitcom back now and then put a Mrs. Robinson story in there. Oh, that. Mrs. Garrett. You know, like Mrs. Mrs. Garrett Stewart. finds that, you know, one of the boys come in and everyone's trying to figure out which one there that he's interested in. Yeah. And then we find out he's interested in Mrs. Garrett. As long as he's a college boy, he can't be Bates. He's got to yeah, be yeah. At Langley. You know, 2021. Maybe something. Roy, who delivers the pastries and is always after Joe. Yeah. But um, but it's got to be a real mystery until the end when they find out that he's, you know, walking out with Mrs. Garrett. Yeah. Um, so they talk about this class and how... They got paired up. And so Eddie does kind of say, so did you guys uh, like pick each other? Mm. And that's a good way to set up this joke where it's like, no, we got paired up because of our last names. They went alphabetically, you know, Perkins, Paul Nacek. Oh, yeah. OK, cool. And then in comes Blair. <laughs> Blair is. <sighs> I'm never going to be able to show my face in public again. And we learn that Blair Warner has been matched up with a boy also with a W name. And Tootie says, well, what is his name? And she says, Wilbur. Wilbur. And it's like, but I thought it went alphabetically by last name. And Blair says, that is is his last last name. name. So what's his first name? And Lisa Welch perfectly delivers. Would you believe Waldo? (laughs) (laughs) We never meet Waldo Wilbur. No. I wish we did. I would love to see who he was. I would have seen him too. So she is. Oh. Wouldn't it be great if he showed up and he was like drop dead gorgeous? Hottie. Oh my God. That would be great. Yeah. Have it be George Clooney. And then have them go off him and go off with Bob. Oh, there you go. There's that Facts of Life fan fiction that yeah. you need to write, Bob. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, oh, and um, an audience reaction. I believe it's after she says, Wilbur. Someone in the audience, you hear, oh God. You actually hear it. So it just boils down to, because of this project, Joe and Bob have a lot of homework. And therefore, they have to figure out, well, we got to get together and do this sometime. But she's supposed to spend the weekend with Eddie. And actually, Eddie's pretty cool. And there's there's not a lot of the expected sitcom-y. Well, Joe, you're just going to ignore me the whole weekend. Yeah. You, you kind of, I kind of half expected that. But that whole, the scheduling thing of Joe saying, look, Eddie, now you're going to do this thing tomorrow. We'll get together tomorrow afterwards. Yeah. And um, it, that, that was good that that wasn't a thing. Bravo to the writers. So no sooner does Bob leave, and I think Eddie leaves too. And Blair is like, well, he is adorable. And Joe, of course, is like, well, whatever. I'm with Eddie. That's, right. that's not an issue. That is doesn't even enter into the uh, into the equation. Right. So then we go to our... Oh, and the other thing is, Mrs. Garrett is wearing a very bold, large houndstooth print blouse. It's a very uh, graphic and striking print, not typically what she wears. Really? Usually she wears stuff that's a little more matronly. Do you so, think they did it on purpose? I'm, I, I don't think so. No. If you look at the costume, because we have some costuming fails coming up as well. Oh. Yes. Um, 
so then we go to, there are a lot of shorter scenes in this show too, which I think helps keep it moving along. Mm. Then we go to the parlor. A little later, Mrs. Garrett has one of those blackboards with the ridges, with the white letters that you press into. And she's making up the menu, obviously. And the door to the parlor has suddenly appeared far, far stage left camera uh, screen on the right side of the screen. Wow. I don't know that that door has always been there. I think it may have been there before, but it was perpendicular Mm. to the audience, not facing the audience. And when they come in from the door, there's a brick wall outside. So it is supposedly now, for this episode, an outside door. Mm. And in the Facts of Life reunion movie, they go up a stairwell and walk in, allegedly, that door to revisit the cafeteria all the years later. So this is one of those weird sitcom-y things where it is one thing one week, yeah. it's a different thing another yeah. week. But just pointing out that this is a brick wall. I, I knew it had been there somewhere. Um, and no... Um, oh, so it's the next day, and Joe and Eddie have returned from their dirt bike rally. Yes. And they're talking about all the stunts that the dirt bike guys do. And uh, as Mrs. Garrett says, how do they do that and not end up looking like applesauce? And Eddie just sort of says, ah, you just cross your fingers, spit, and hope for the best. And Joe says, well, actually, it's simple math if you think about it. Because once they get to a certain acceleration, then you have the trajectory of the yada yada. And Joe goes into a fairly yeah, intelligent, it's a, it's a um, scientific... It's a Newtonian equation is what yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, and, and there is a sense of when she finishes, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of backs off of that and says... And then you cross your fingers, you spit, and you hope for the best. <laughs> but it was a good little touch on what will come back a little bit later. Good character humor. Yes. And and a good way to show that Joe, even just in the season and a half, we've had her. She's She is evolving and developing mm. as a character, as a person, and that she's there at Eastland because she's smart. Yeah. Next scene, we're in the cafeteria again. Now Blair is just moping around. Blair is in a terrible outfit. She's in an A-line skirt. She has got a, like a mauve-colored shirt on yeah. with a ro- with, with a pattern like a vertical pattern, and then a solid-color rose vest over it. They're two not quite the same color, but not dissimilar it like enough. What the what the the um, love interest in Newsies would have worn at, when she was writing? Yeah, it had kind of this very period look to it, but wasn't. Um, 60s or 70s. It wasn't 70s. Well, the thing is, in, in the 80s, there was this this ugly holly hobby, puffy vest. Think of what Dustin Hoffman wore in Tootsie. Yeah. How you could have the ruffles up to the neck. Right. And the puffy sleeves and, and little floral patterns yeah. in ugly grays and, you know, burgundy, mauve, mauve colors. Yeah. And this is, it's a very 80s outfit, but the color scheme is very off-brand for Blair. Hmm. So they are working, Joe and Bob are working in the cafeteria and they're working on their entertainment budget. And there's this sense of, well, I can see we're probably going to clash here. And he says something like, "Um, okay, if we're going to allot money for you to go to your dirt bike races, I want us to set aside some money so I can take the train into the city and see Shakespeare in the park. Mm -hmm. 
And Joe's like, well, I'd like to do that too. That sounds like fun. So they're getting to know each other a little yes. bit through the course of this course. Right. And not make assumptions mm-hmm. that he's just a knucklehead. Yeah. So then Blair, who's moping around, they say, how are things being Mrs. Waldo Wilbur? <laughs> and Blair just says, let's put it this way. We're looking into buying twin beds. <laughs> I love it. So they talk about how they haven't really gotten their work done yet. Mm-hmm. So Joe was like, you know what? Let me call Eddie at the Y, tell him I have to work through the night, and I'll just see him tomorrow. Yeah. So Joe has to leave to go to the payphone in the parlor right. to call Eddie. Leaving, Blair alone with Bob, and then Tootie and Natalie also come in. And they are very, very obviously sizing him up yeah, and kind of treating him like new boyfriend material. And... Natalie is kind of neutral. She doesn't really have any lines. Mindy Cohn, I don't, does Natalie have five lines in this show? Not any. It's not a very Natalie heavy show. But we've got this sort of angel devil thing where Blair is already, we know, kind of like, well, you guys are getting along really well, aren't you? And then Tootie comes in with something along the lines of, yeah, like she gets along well with Eddie, you know, the one he gave a ring to and she wears it around her neck all the time. So we've got Blair on one hand kind of trying to play up that there's a connection here. And Tootie's the one going, she's with Eddie and she's committed to him and she's not going to be with you. Right. And, and it's funny. It totally works. And it's continuing the thing of the friends looking out for each other. Yeah. And the girls, the girls are wonderful at this. Tootie is wearing a, an, a completely unsupportable shirt. It is like a woven sweater with a picture of a tea party on it. Uh, Natalie's just in a plaid shirt. Natalie's just in neutral yeah. clothing. So, but this is actually good costuming in that yesterday was Friday, would have been a school day. And Eddie showed up a day early. So they were in their school uniforms. Now today they're now in street casual. clothes because yeah. this is clearly a Saturday, a week. Because why would Eddie come up during the week? Right. So good, good work, costumer, with picking that they're wearing street clothes the actual street clothes no Mm. no and the scene ends with bob saying meet me at the pizza place at seven and she's like whoa whoa pizza place what are we there to work or eat and he's like well can't you do both she's like well okay i guess so so then we get to the next scene moving on really fast at the pizza place i remember as a child watching this episode i was i would have been 12 at the time. No, I would have been 13 by now. I remember this episode so vividly. And the beginning of this scene is etched in my brain because the scene begins with a close-up on the pizza. You hear them laughing. There's this clear, okay, we're going to start the scene with you laughing to show that you clearly are having a good time. Then she reaches for the piece of pizza and he says, let me help you. And takes hold of the piece of pizza that's already in her hand. He helps her put the pizza to her face. Yeah. It's like, let me help you pick up a piece of pizza. Yeah. And uh, and if he's he, the one laughing. He's it, needed all, a cute, <laughs> it needed a motivation for something cute. Yeah. And it, that was it. What they should have done is they should have both reached for the same piece. Yeah. And done a, done a lady in the tramp. And then, yeah. And then each had, had a bite from the other side. And, and yeah, have them both start eating and not realize the other one's eating from the other side <sighs> of the piece of pizza. Damn director. Ugh. 
Assad Kalada. Assad Kalada. What else has he done? Yeah, only 100,000 other episodes of The Facts oh, well, of Life. There you have it. But the important thing that we're supposed to glean from this is that they are having fun. Yes. We're laughing and we're helping each other eat pizza. Mm-hmm. And then this is really, I mean, they're not really working much on the, on the project. No. Their conversation quickly turns to him saying, um, you have a really great sense of humor. And he says, you're a really interesting person. They talk about, he's like, what's your philosophy of life? She's like, I don't know. I don't have one. And he's like, well, that's cool too. And she's like, it is? And then she says, I guess so. If you think of it, it's like, you know, what what are your rules? And you're like, well, I don't have any rules. Well, you've made a rule that there are no rules. Um, So it's a nice little conversation. It's not too stilted. It's not too awkward or whatever. And then he says, you're an interesting person again. Nice little awkward moment of repeating yourself because mm. you don't know what else to say. And yeah. she's like, yeah, you, you just told me that. And then he says, I've enjoyed working with you. I have. And then he puts his hand on her hand. And then we have a slow facts of life fade. No applause, just fade to commercial. Ooh, Do you remember wow. that? I don't think I paid that close attention. Did you notice what else was going on in the scene? Well, she does that somewhere else that she's masturbating with something <laughs> with a prop. Yes. But yeah, I was I wasn't going to be that blatant about it, Bob, but you went there. Okay. Well that's what you were talking about, right? Right. I am we just oh, looked yeah, at the we is. just looked at the clip again to be sure she's that a I wanker. saw. She is the the thi- the still them holding this moment mm. of them holding hands. Yeah. Nancy McKeon is doing some space work of acting a little uncomfortable by running her fingers up and down she looked her drink. Totally comfortable to me. A drink. <laughs> I think she looked like exactly. She knew exactly what you she see, would be doing. You see, you see, some people argue that Joe does not. Joe wants yeah, to do I other know. things to I play. Know. That may be. See, that's the uh, the red herring. The the dichotomy. Yeah, of, the dichotomy. Ah, <laughs> you went there. Good work. So yeah, she's kind of running her hands up and down the the cup in a she way is. where you're like. There's another time when she's holding something in her hand. And she's doing something very. Is it phallic. the ring when she finds the yes. ring fiddling? So clearly, that's a thing that she does as an actress. As she fiddles, she's sexually with. frustrated. <laughs> she is the character every, is seventeen. I know, but everyone is saying she's a lesbian, and she's frustrated because what she really wants is the D. Oh wow, the 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 D, the dyke, the D. or the dick? No, the dick. But if she's a lesbian, why does she want no, the dick? No, I don't think she is. I think that's the red herring. Mm. I think what she is is she's just like she likes dudes. She likes well. She does marry a dude before the the series is over yeah, in the final season. That. She marries a dude, yeah. who then immediately runs off on the road, and Don't we never all. see him again. Just saying. Yeah. Yep. Jerks. Yeah. So now we're at commercial. Oh, all right. After this potential, this uncomfortable moment for intentional and unintentional reasons. Okay. We are now at commercial. Oh. Commercial is when I like to get to know my guests. All right. When I like to introduce my fours of listeners to the amazing talents that there are in the Central Florida community. So, uh, if I may, Bob, I want to ask you and talk to you a bit. I kind of like to James Lipton it. Yeah. So, can we start with, where were you born? Uh, a little town called Ambler, but I was actually born in Norristown, right next door to it in um, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. Pencil? Okay. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And is that where you grew up? Grew up? Is that where you consider I home? I did. I grew up. I, no, I don't consider it home. I lived in uh, this little town called Ambler. And by the time I was 18 or 19, I moved to New York. 
Mm-hmm. Then I came back and lived in that area again for a couple years and then moved to L.A. I've spent most of my time away from that area, so it doesn't feel like home at all. Oh, I okay. left there when I was 26, I think. Okay. And I'm 61, so we can do yeah. the math. Okay, I get it. Totally. Yeah. Now, um, where did you educate yourself and what did you study in your higher education, if any? I did w- one year. I tried one year of college and failed miserably. At oh. it. I just couldn't uh, keep up with going and ended up getting a job and giving that up. So no, no education other than high school and then um, doing theater. And uh, as far as, wow, this is a true experience is your education. Oh, yeah. School I hard consider, I consider you to be such a multifaceted, talented person who has worked in so many arenas of the professional entertainment world. In addition, not just, I mean, we all work in the professional entertainment. Yeah. But I mean, like you say, New York, L.A., in my world, you've worked like real television. I did. You know, it's so funny when you um, characterize it like that, David. It was, for me, was my um, 30s. You uh-huh. know, I, I wasn't aware that what we were doing at Nickelodeon was something so unique. Yeah. Because it was my life, and they were sometimes 12-hour days, and you just go from one day to another. So Yeah. Now, yeah. Let's, let's back up, though. In, when you say working for Nickelodeon, yeah. this was Nickelodeon here or out there? No, here. Um, well, then maybe we should back up before that. You said, can you give me a quick travelogue of your career, like you say, your 20s, your 30s? Sure. Your initial uh, artistic stuff was being into theater it was when theater. you were teens. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Exactly. And then uh, I moved to New York when I was 19 with my fiancé, who then was my wife shortly after that. Mm-hmm. And um, we, I li- worked in shoe business on Broadway. <laughs> I worked at the Tom McCann Shoe Store, <laughs> 57th and Broadway. And Beautiful. I, um, yeah, and in fact, the very first day there, I was held up. Mm. Whoa. Yes. Did you die? No. Okay, I'm glad. But I was terrified, though. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Welcome to New York. Because, I mean, so this was what years now were we talking? Uh, I, well, this would have been 78, 79. Yeah, the 70s. And, and even coming into the 80s. That yeah. was that was like New York at its most crime-ridden, dangerous. Like, it was. It and, was. It was scary. You experienced it. I did. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, where did... Uh, where did you go after New York? And so why? then New York, I went back to the Philadelphia area for a while. Um, things happened in my life. But then I, towards the uh, end of my 20s, I moved out to L.A. Mm-hmm. And I was out there for about six years. Mm-hmm. And um, the biggest thing that happened to me was becoming a tour guide uh, for the old studio tour that was out there. That was before all of the attractions that are have been built since then. Mm-hmm. At uh, Universal? At Universal. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was, the tram was the only thing in town. Like okay. you got, you waited, you got on the tram and the tram was a two to three hour tour. And oh, that was okay. your whole experience for the most part. Yeah, it wasn't, because it, now it's more like a theme it's park like ride. like theme park here, yeah. right. <clears throat> With an escalator that takes you up and down to it. But anyway, um, that was when uh, I was recruited by Nickelodeon and Universal to come here during to the open the studios. They were looking for somebody that was going to be quirky for Nickelodeon mm-hmm. um, that could be able to interface with the corporate side of Universal. Mm-hmm. And so I did that through uh, June of op- we opened. And then um, a couple months after that, I decided I was going to go back to L.A., but I was um, 
uh, Nickelodeon contacted me and said, look, we got a desk and a phone, uh, and uh, we'll give you a salary. We'll wow. make up your job. And that's what I did. That's cool. And that was more on the producing end? Yeah. Well, initially what I was uh, tasked with was being responsible for Nickelodeon as an attraction at Universal. In other words, mm-hmm. making sure that there was something going on on the sound stages at all time that the tour was going through, oh. if not creating some sort of faux entertainment. Eventually, we developed a, a little game show. It was called Game Lab that ran for years at mm-hmm. uh, Nickelodeon. And I worked with another woman on that number of different people um but uh, that's how i got my career in nickelodeon and then um from doing warm-up and that sort of thing then they started to do uh live shows like touring Mm -hmm. shows and i got involved in that and that took me off into a different direction for the balance of my 15 years there so i did warm-up on a lot of tv shows in production and then moved on to write and direct shows for all of the theme parks and cruise line uh, license deals that they had for about 25 years. Wow. Yeah. And you've done that up to recently? I did it up until about maybe five years ago was when I finally really stopped mm-hmm. um, doing it. Uh, started in 1990, yeah. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a great run. It was great fun. That is. But in the time I've known you, we worked together at the wonderful Sleuth's Mystery Sleuth's, Dinner Theater. Um, down on International Drive. And uh, in getting to know you in that time, you've also, you've still gone off. You're still writing and developing cruise line shows. I do. I don't do as much of it anymore, uh, mostly because there are other younger guys that are out there doing what I'm doing, and mm-hmm. so their names probably get p- brought up more quickly than mine do. Because, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, yeah. experience, that's, that's such a liability. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, did, um, I did do a, a, a name that tune for one of the Disney, um, not Disney, for one of the... Um, uh, Royal Caribbean ships. Oh, and then uh, last year or the year before last, I guess I did uh, a game show on uh, Holland American. Oh. So yeah, I occasionally still go out and do that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, because I've I've seen I've been aware that you've been gone yeah. for things yeah. like that. And in addition to Sluice, I know you've worked at Titanic. That's another place where a lot of performers. Absolutely, Titanic. Um, and then I do this standardized patient thing with Adventist Health, um, where I. Um, uh, act like a patient in any kind of a different scenario. Oh. It might be someone who is experiencing the symptoms of stroke, and the uh, nurses or the produ- um, physicians' assistants need to diagnose what oh. the issue is with the hints that we're giving them. I've heard of that. I yeah. didn't know anyone who did it though. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and then you do shows in our many regional, professional, and community yeah, we theaters. really are lucky to have some great theaters in this we, town. Don't I've we? said that so many times. Yeah, how. And I've Ugh. just been uh, doing about four a year. I'm so grateful. I yeah. love being back on stage. Uh-huh. Now, when did you do Star Search? When it was uh, here at, at Disney, uh, Disney MGM, MGM Studios. Right. It was the final... Um, How did you cross over, though? Because you were at Nickelodeon, which was, was at Universal. The original um, warm-up for Star Search out in L.A. was Mark Summers. Oh. So Mark called um, the production company and said, you know, we have a warm-up here that you should use him. And I got the job pretty wow. much right away. And in fact, I even did a, um, you know how Christmas time when there's nothing going on, McMahon um, uh, produced a little Star Search live show, which uh-huh. I got to host, and had him do the introduction like Johnny, and now here's Bob. I used to have it on VHS. I'm not sure if I have it anymore. That is cool. Yeah. So when you say warm-up, in my 
brain a warm-up person who gets a studio audience excited before they tape a show. Mm. In my brain, that's typically like a stand-up comic. Yeah. There, there are two types of, of um, artists that do warm-up. Yeah. Uh, actually, I would say three because now there are people who are um, DJs. So oh. they use their skills as DJs to kind of make it a dance party. Yeah. So that's kind of a new thing. Yeah, that, Ellen does that. Ellen yes. did that when they've taped here in Orlando. Exactly. Seen Ellen do that. Um, but in my day of doing um, game shows for kids, it was really about keeping them occupied during the downtime. Okay. Now, the more interesting and more involved one was when I did um, Warm Up for Hi Honey, I'm Home, which was a dual production for... Nick at Night and for ABC because it ran ABC during the week and then had an immediate rerun oh, yeah. on Nick at Night. I remember that. And yeah. we got to work with uh, I mean, people like Gail Gordon and Barbara Billingsley and Al Lewis and mm. all these uh, great uh, guest stars um, who came in and did that. And that was more involved. There I had to really be a humorist. Mm-hmm. I had to come up with material. Yeah. Um, and then I would you know, have routines that I would do with the audience to keep them going. Plus, in a sitcom, the audience has got to come back in and remember what the story is. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you'll be down for maybe 10 minutes, and it's a serious scene that they came out of. Oh. So you've got to help bring them back emotionally to where that is in time for them to pick it up. I never thought of that. So that they wouldn't be nervous giggles or that sort of thing. Sure. So I think it's those instances where, and I, I don't want to paint you as a name dropper or anything, but <laughs> it has come up in conversation when you were working at Nickelodeon and a celebrity's name will come up and you'll say, oh, I met that person. Yeah. And I think that's where I get this this sense of this big, vast, wide-reaching career of yours. I have said so many times about the amazing talent that we have in Central Florida and how many people, for how there are those who are dismissive of people who work in theme parks and dinner theater, but they don't realize that these people have other talents and have had other careers and continue to have other careers. I think it's why we're so lucky as actors to get to do the local theaters that are um, mm-hmm. doing great works because you're working with really good talent. I and agree. And nothing makes you work harder than to ha- be on stage with somebody that's pretty mm-hmm. good. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. So excellent. So let's get back to act two okay. of our show. We come back from commercial. Uh, We're in the parlor, and Eddie is asleep on the couch with his sailor hat covering his face. So Mm. he's just waiting around sleeping. And in comes Joe. This is a very short scene. Joe Mm -hmm. comes in and says, Eddie, what are you doing here? It's after 11. Apparently 11 is curfew. Yeah. And Joe is with this guy, Bob. And he says, I wanted to make sure you got home okay. What is he doing here? And Bob says, I wanted to make sure she got home okay. Yeah. And, uh, and they also could have said, and uh, a girl was almost attacked and raped just a few episodes ago. Did you not watch the TV show? We had, a, we had an almost rape episode. It was Natalie. Yeah. So could have, I know. But it's good. That also shows how chivalrous Bob is. Yes, Bob's got it together. I love Bob so much. I love much. Bob too. What about Bob? Yep. Great name too, huh? Mm. Um, so then the next scene, we move quickly to the bedroom. Joe is coming in in the dark only to find a flashlight in her face. And Tootie is like, well, it is about time. And it's like, what? It's after let Tootie is giving her full mom. Read her beads. 
Yes, giving her full mom mode. And then lights come on while they're like, so what happened? How was your date? She's like, it's not a date. Blair is wearing a nightgown. It's like a flannel. It looks like something Laura Ingalls Wilder would have said, I'm good. Yeah. It looked like something one of the Golden Girls would wear. Yes, it's Sophia. Yeah. I would absolutely. That's the type yeah. of you would yeah. see Sophia in. You are totally right. right. Maybe the same costumer. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Same network. Who knows? Yeah. So Tootie is getting really pushy about this. I want to know what's going on and why were you out this late with Bob and what's going on with you and Eddie. So Blair says, Natalie, go stick something in her mouth. Yeah. So Tootie and Natalie leave, presumably to go to the kitchen and get something to eat. Well, they because right before it, they were talking about things to eat. Were they talking? Yeah. We've said before, Natalie talks. They never make fat jokes about her, but she's constantly talking about food. Yeah. Um, So then we're just now down to Blair and Joe, the wonderful frenemy relationship that I love so much. There's this back and forth between Blair and Joe, where Joe is resisting Blair talking about it like it was a date until finally Joe breaks down and admits we talked and we kidded around and I had a great time. It was awful. And Blair's like, why is that awful? You can date other boys. That's fine. And Joe says, my mom would call that being fickle. Mm. And Blair says, my mom would call that playing the field. Playing the field. Which is, you could see Monica Warner, her mother, whom yeah. we just met two weeks ago. Blair talks about how dating boys is a thing. And that's what people have to deal with when they're charming and beautiful but joe you don't have to worry about that exactly just i mean because you have eddie because you consider yourself taken well blair does say i think you've been using eddie as a security blanket and the scene ends this is another quick scene this is like we had the scene down in the parlor now you have the scene in the bedroom now we're down in the parlor this is actually the final scene of the show and Mrs. Garrett, we, we start in the cafeteria and then we move into the parlor. But Joe is frantically looking under the tables. And Mrs. Garrett is like, uh, oh, Joe, Bob called just to make sure that you're still getting together to finish your work. And she's like, yeah, uh-huh, what? She goes, what are you doing? You look like you're looking for something. And Joe says, no, I'm looking for something. <clears throat> and uh, the moment is broken with Blair running in, singing Born Free at the top of her lungs. Right. And... Uh, you always wonder about the rights to songs and music. Yeah. She sings, born free, free as the la, 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 la. And she starts la lying. Yeah. I'm wondering, did they just save themselves $50,000? Yeah, maybe. But she, anyhow, she sings part of born free, but we know that's what she's singing. So they're like, Blair, what are you so, why are you so happy? And she continues to sing, I'm getting a divorce. Which is <laughs> so cute. <laughs> And that's how she's doing her project. And that's actually kind of genius that she's doing the marriage project as though they were divorced. So she says, I have to go back, work on my budget to include alimony. Alimony, right. (laughs) She's going to pay him. Oh, probably, knowing her. (laughs) She probably thinks otherwise because she's used to. Well, Waldo Wilbur might be from money. If he goes to Bates, he might be. The Wilbur Estates. Uh Uh-huh. So then we move into the parlor, continuing for this search. What has happened is Joe has lost the ring that Eddie gave her that she wears on a chain around her neck. And Mrs. Garrett, in looking under the sofa cushions, pulls out a pair of handcuffs. Yeah. 
very illogical. I know, with no discussion about it. Well, she does say, Sometimes I wonder what you girls are up to when I'm not here. Right. But she takes them. But she, yeah, she takes them out of the room later. That's kind of her, well, I'm going to go put these somewhere. Uh, Yeah. That's her way of excusing herself. She's going to put them in her. Yeah. Sure. And, um... So that when that boy comes upstairs, she can tie him up. Hi-oh. Yeah. There you go, Bob. Write that fan fiction. Yeah, That's your next career. <laughs> right there. Um, so Mrs. Garrett says something like, are you going to go out with Bob again? And Joe is like, well, I, no, I'm not going to go out with Bob again. I'm not going out with Bob. I'm interested in Eddie, and yet why am I? I'm, I'm with Eddie, and yet why, why do I feel certain things when I've, and with Bob mm. and Mrs. Garrett says um, well it's because he interests you and it's okay and Mrs. Garrett wisdom time mm. Joe you're not the same girl who rode up on her motorcycle a year ago you're changing you're growing your needs are changing and Joe says that sounds so selfish and Mrs. Garrett this is very ahead of its time she says, um, uh, that word gets a bad rap. She said, what's wrong with being selfish, meaning doing something for yourself? You owe it to the world to be the best of yourself. And if you're not, then you don't have anything. See, everything that's being said today is taken from the facts of life. I couldn't agree more. Literally what Mrs. Garrett is saying, if you can't love yourself, how can you love somebody else? It's It's right there. It is Mrs. Garrett in full superpower, Mm -hmm. wisdom mode. God bless her. They find the ring Mm -hmm. under like a backgammon set on the coffee table. That's a little weird. Um, And just as they find it, Eddie comes in and Joe runs up to him and starts crying and is upset. And he's like, whoa, I go, yeah, glad you're glad to see me. What's wrong? And she's crying because she's like, I thought I lost it. I was, I felt so bad. I thought I'd lost it. And then they're just there hugging and hugging really hard and intensely. And Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Garrett's got to get the hell out of Dodge. You remember what she says? No, what did she say? She says, well, if you two will excuse me. And they don't move and they're still hugging. And she goes, well, I guess you will. And she walks out. I think, and then she just walks out with the handcuffs. I don't think she says anything either. No. She just takes the handcuffs. She's going to use them later. She is. Eddie's the one that says, I think we need to talk. And he says, I've, I've noticed that you've changed. And he points out the fact that when we talk, I feel like I don't understand you and I feel like you don't understand me. For, for all intents and purposes, he's saying we're not connecting like no. we're used to connecting. No. And so what to do? Things just don't feel right. And they, they handle this dialogue really sensitively and yes. beautifully with no blame, no malice. It's like, it's, a, it's an important thing that young people should see how breakups are not that fucking bitch, yeah. that type of thing. They're amicable breakups just for the sake of it's run its course. Sure. And there's this beautiful, what do you want to do? Well, do you want to break up? And he's like, well, no, but things don't feel right. Do you want to break up? I, I don't know. Maybe we could see other people. And then he says a lovely, this isn't goodbye forever. This is just, we're going to see other people. And so she says, so, you know, should you take your ring back? And he says, 
well, I got it for you. And he says, I'm paying $5 a month. <laughs> in two years, it will be paid for. <laughs> now, I believe her engagement ring in the previous episode had been purchased at Kmart. So this might be a nicer ring that he's given her in between. But let me see. Two years is 24 months. 24 times five. So only 120 bucks. <laughs> Wait a minute. 24 <laughs> times 5 is 120. Yeah. It's a $120 ring. But the fact that he can afford $5 a month is kind of sweet. Yeah. Um, so um, it, they sort of end and it starts getting teary. And he says, you know, it's okay. I'm just going to, I'm going to take off now. And you write. he's going up to Mrs. Garrett with the, the handcuffs. handcuffs. I, got, I got an appointment. Yeah. But he says, you know, I'll write to you. No, he says, you, he goes, uh, you know, write to me and mm-hmm. I'll write back to you. We're still good. And it's really lovely. And he is so sweet. And bear in mind, he's like a decade older than she is. Hmm. That's the other thing. Last year when they were doing their scenes, he was like 22. Wow. And she was 14 because she's younger than her character oh. in real life. Um, so Eddie leaves and it's really sweet and lovely in spite of the fact that Eddie is a little bit on the, like I said, the kind of his, it's even like his voice is higher pitched. It's like, I don't know, we're not really communicating. Yeah. It's, he, he's not quite registering. He's not as grounded as he was when yeah. we met him last time. But thankfully, that does serve this scene well, in that you know that there is no malice. Mm-hmm. So that does work here. So he leaves, and Joe is sad, and Mrs. Garrett comes in, and... Joe starts to cry. Nancy McKeon turning on the waterworks. Oh, she yeah. is so good. Yeah. And she's like, he wouldn't take the ring back. He wouldn't take it back. And Mrs. Garrett says, one day it's going to give you pleasure. Just think, someday you'll show this to your grandchildren and you'll smile and you'll remember your first love. Oh. And then Joe just collapses, bawling. Yeah. We freeze frame, and then awkward canned clap track yeah. while the credits run. Yeah. But it's... The way they did it. They, this is one of those where we could have just had Joe crying in Mrs. Garrett's arms and kept the film rolling, the kept it running. Said, no, we got to have him. And run the credits. You can't do that. You got yeah, to have a little something happy to yeah. get him. They have done that before, but I guess maybe it was one of those... Geez, we have to remind them that there's an audience there because yeah. there haven't been laughs. We haven't heard them because it's not. There are laughs in the show, but it's not. This no, ain't this no gut kinda, buster. This was a dark one. Yeah, but but effective and I think overall really good. I do too. I'm not a fan of the Eddie. Uh huh. I I can see why you wouldn't be, and I wish you had seen Teenage Marriage, yeah, where that was where we all, along with Joe, we were like we fell in. I mean, love the with whole him. time I'm thinking they're not meant for each other. Yeah. Well, so they got to end it. Yeah. So and maybe that maybe you're saying that means this episode succeeded maybe. doing what it wanted to do because exactly. it's supposed to show their she disconnect. deserves better than him. Well, Bob, I'm so glad this you was did fun. this. Did you have a? Did you enjoy I revisiting did. the show? I, I enjoyed revisiting the show and I enjoyed our ridiculous conversation. I am glad. I absolutely echo that. And I gotta go walk my dogs now. Name your dogs. Who are your dogs? Uh, Jasper is uh, my Pomeranian. Then there's Wills. He's my old man. He's a minute miniature pincher. I've had him the longest. And then Bobby, my Chihuahua, who's my heart and soul. Oh. He's named after me, Bob Junior. Bob Junior. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and he and I have a very codependent 
oh. uh, relationship. Oh, yeah. I don't have any pets because I'm dead inside. Are you? <laughs> it, dogs will do that. They'll spark life back in you. I'm I'm itching the tiniest bit to maybe think about a cat. That is that is a consideration. Well, cats but, are lovely too. Yeah. No, I like. I'm more of a cat person than a dog person. I, I was a cat person for yeah. many years as well. Well, get to your dogs right, and thank you so much. Thank you. What do I do? I you can just say good night, Bob. Good night, Bob. <laughs> and there you have it. That was Bob Brandenburg. Always a delight. Bob really wants Mrs. Garrett to end up with Eddie in those handcuffs. Now that Eddie isn't tied down to Joe. He wants he wants Eddie to be tied down to Mrs. Garrett, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Giggity. Uh, the only uh, little afterthought is I wanted to point out, I did look back. That door in the parlor that faces the audience, that is good. That is right. That has been there since the first time we ever saw the parlor. That was there in season two, episode one. There's a quick glimpse of it when Blair and Mrs. Garrett are about to have their little talk about the new girl, Joe. So um, I will post a picture of that on the website. And um, that's really it. It was really fun. I'm, I'm glad Bob was able to come over and do the show. I, I find I constantly say, I'm so happy people made the time to come and be on the show. I don't think it's apparent that Actors in Central Florida, we are very busy scrambling to make a living working at multiple theme parks and multiple attractions and places and juggling a lot of scheduling things. So I, that's not an understatement when I say I really do thank all of my guests for making the time because it really is not always easy. So next week, I'm going to be watching Season 3, Episode 8, From Russia with Love. That's the one where Natalie's grandmother comes and visits. And my special guest, I'm so excited, is going to be funny man Steve Pernick. Oh, really looking forward to that. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.